where we will uh, be together this evening. Uh, I think it's going to be sometime in late August that we come to the end of this great book, and uh, we certainly come to, as I said earlier, one of the more famous sections in Scripture with chapter 19, as we've kind of moved out from these formal series of sevens with bowls and trumpets and seals. And now we begin to see the kind of climactic conclusion that belongs to Revelation. And all we're going to look at tonight is the first five verses of chapter 19. A short song, but a rich one nonetheless. So let me read those verses for us and and pray for time. And then we'll begin together. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. And thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray once again together. Father, we do ask that you would help us with hearts of joy, with hearts of truth, with hearts of justice, to praise you once again this evening. As this song stirs us, we pray that it would help us to do so, that you would be glorified in our lives, that we might hear this word, that we might keep it, that we might find its promised blessing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Early spring of 2017, I received an invitation to a small gathering of pastors that were meeting in the woods of Mississippi, and ministerial... Life was rather difficult at that time, and there was certainly a sense in my own heart that there was help needed. There was some hints along the way for ministerial faithfulness, and I was trusting that, you know, I was going to go to this small gathering. I knew a number of the people that were going to be there and trust that it would serve as something of a a re-energizing reality in my own ministry life. And so as I was driving towards Mississippi, I was praying those very things when suddenly my air conditioning went out in the car, and that's a story for a different day, but it traveled all the way towards Mississippi, and eventually as the week continued. It was full of edifying fellowship. It was full of instruction, good teaching. But at the same time, there was this kind of heavy sense of what was next in our life as a family and my life in ministry and still desiring that God would bring some sense of of relief. And, And it came in a surprising way. It was on the last night that I was there after a great Scottish preacher preached this message on the glory of Jesus Christ. All the pastors present there uh, responded by singing, I'll hail the power of Jesus' name, not to its traditional tune that many of you know, but to the more complex melody that a number of you surely know. That's a diadem, isn't it? And it was the loudest singing I've ever heard in a small gathering in my entire life. Sometimes you can get that with pastors as they just let loose in a very sanctified way, and it very much felt like the the walls of the campground were, were going to crumble. Such was the glory uh, of Jesus Christ. 
And it's but a small shout to what we see in a song this evening, for it's a song that the heavens, that the universe will hear, such as its multitude and majesty. Praise befits God at the end of this story of Jesus conquering all his and your enemies. And if you want to understand why this text is all about praising God, if you glance down, even as I read it, you'll notice three times we find this word, hallelujah. Verse 1, verse 3, and verse 4. You may not know that the only time an English Bible will translate a word into hallelujah happens in Revelation 19. And kids, I wonder if you know what Revelation 19 is speaking of when it says hallelujah. I mean, it's just, more technically speaking, it's a Greek transliteration of the Hebrew that simply says, praise the Lord. So we're asking the question along the way tonight, why is this multitude in heaven crying out in praise to God? And the answer to that is really the simple theme to this study. Uh, They're singing forth the doom song of Babylon. Because it was a doom song that was actually uttered and commanded what we saw last week in chapter 18. So in recent weeks, the last two weeks, we've noticed chapter 17 and 18 is paying attention to what the text is called the great prostitute. Or Babylon, who is the mother of all abominations. It's the great sin city in the world. It's the world opposed to Jesus Christ and to God the Father. And if you look back to verse 20 of chapter 18, we got already the command of what follows in verse 1 through 5 of chapter 19. Or 18 verse 20 says, Rejoice over her, that's Babylon, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you, against her. And so then, by the time we get to chapter 19, the heavens are bursting forth in a song of Babylon's demise, a song of the world's doom, a song of sin's destruction. And so again, it's a text that tells us that very much what of the work of heaven is given to singing. I trust if you've been with us these many months, you see how the story of Revelation has these kind of punctuating moments of just spontaneous, it seems, songs that erupt from the glorious saints and creatures seated there in heaven. And so, students, remember again that the Christian life is a singing life, that it's a normal knee-jerk reaction of godly people to sing when they hear the truth related to what God is doing, what God has done, what God will do in the world. And we'll think about that more in a minute. But this text is giving us three particular reasons with our three hallelujahs about why we need to sing, why they are singing. So number one, sing for justice. Number two, sing about vengeance. And number three, sing in obedience. So sing for justice. Look again at verse one. John says, after this, that is this summons of Babylon's fall, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah. Now, so, kids, if you think about the scene, it's not as though John is saying that he's looked around and there's this heavenly choir present to his eyes. No, he's saying, I've heard something. A loud voice, a multitude crying out, Praise God. It's this proclamation of praise uttered forth from the throne room of heaven. And what verse 2 after verse 1 begins to do is give us the reasons for the rejoicing. First of all, it says, you'll see at the end of verse 1, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. 
On the sweep of Revelation, whenever it sings forth the song of salvation, it really is better understood to be this song of consummation. That everything is finally reached its appointed end according to God's sovereign decree and power. That his righteous rule and redemption, his right to sovereign authority, it's finally and fully here. So of course it's beginning, isn't it, with a song of, of sovereignty. Not just for justice, they're singing because God is sovereign. Now kids, do you know what it means that, that God is sovereign? Maybe it's a word you've heard people use before. It's a word we use before, of course, at Redeemer, Presbyterian Church. It just simply means that God is in control. God is in control of all things. That means He controls the bad things. He controls the good things. All the joys, all the sorrows, all the mountains, all the valleys, all the despair and all the delight, God controls. And particularly, it's speaking of his sovereignty, isn't it, at the end of verse 1, in three areas. That he is sovereign, therefore, he alone brings salvation. I do hope you know that, that the only thing you contribute to your salvation is your sin. The reason for the death and damnation that you deserve. Everything else is of God's sovereign glory and grace, so that no man may boast. He's sovereign not only in salvation, he's sovereign in that he alone gets the glory, as verse 1 continues. Uh, we've seen in recent weeks in our morning studies in Exodus that his name is jealous. He won't give his glory to another. He won't give his honor to be robbed and to be stolen. That God alone gets the glory. To God alone belongs the salvation. And not just that, to God alone belongs all the power. Normally when my wife Emily is working at the hospital in the NICU unit, which tends to be on Fridays, if the weather's allowable, we'll be outside working in the backyard. And these days we've been in lots of tree trimming going on and cutting down branches. And the boys have to work a certain amount of time hauling those branches to our particular location. And our youngest son, Boston, who's three and a half, he loves hauling branches around but every single time that he begins, he wants to show his strength and his power by pulling what appears to be the heaviest branch in sight. And so invariably, he will begin pulling on this branch. And he'll keep pulling and pulling and pulling. And he'll kind of throw down his arms in frustration and cry out something to the effect of, Daddy, I can't do it. And of course, some of you are in your life currently like that spiritually. You're trying to give care to the careless, concern to the unconcerned, holiness to the unholy, salvation to the sinner. And you're saying, I can't do it. But the good news of Jesus Christ, the great power of our sovereign God is that He can do it. He delights to work through the weakness of His people. So of course, He alone gets the glory, but at the same time, He shows us that His grace is sufficient. All salvation, glory, and power belong to our God. But then you'll see in verse 2, uh, twice the text begins with this word for or because. And this is the true ground of why the heavens are singing for justice. Notice first of all as the be verse begins, for his judgments are just and true. Why should you praise God? Because he is righteous. Because he is full of justice truthfulness belongs to him. Simply put, students, what that means is no one ever gets to tell God that's not fair or you're not fair. Everything that comes is fair. 
especially in texts like this when it's talking about judgment. The penalty always fits the crime. It's always deserved. And then verse 2, with this second for clause or because clause, it helps us understand further what is the crime of Babylon, the world opposed to God. You see verse 2 continues, For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Again, we're getting this echo that we've seen a number of times in Revelation that there's this twin tactic that belongs to the world power opposed to God, one of which is seduction into sin, particularly immorality, namely, as we've seen in recent chapters, sexual immorality. Surely you know as well as I do that sexual immorality, the seduction of sin, has destroyed many homes, it's destroyed many families, it's destroyed many individuals. But it's not just the seduction to immorality that belongs to Babylon. It's the seduction to idolatry. Not just fleshly living, but false worship. How many nations have been led astray into idolatry and thus put themselves on that wide path that leads to destruction? Judged rightly for seduction. But also, when seduction doesn't work against the church, the world wars against the church with persecution You see that again at the end of verse 2, that God has avenged on her the blood of his servants. It seems to be something of of a final answer. At last, to what we saw all the way back in chapter 6, where these martyrs that are underneath the altar crying out to the Lord, how long is it going to take? How long will you refrain from bringing vengeance on those who have spilled our blood? And now, at long last, Roughly 13 chapters later, vengeance has finally fallen and will finally fall on Babylon, which leads us from singing for justice to the call to sing about vengeance. I think the most sobering sermon I have ever read was a sermon that was preached on a cold Scottish afternoon back in December of 1842. And it was a sermon preached on this very verse, Revelation 19, verse 3. It was by my historical hero, Robert Murray McShane, who from this one verse, Revelation 19, verse 3, developed this doctrine in his sermon, which was an old way of saying this is really the main point of my message. He says, the eternal torment of the wicked is a matter of eternal song to the redeemed, said differently, the eternal judgment of sinners is the eternal joy of saints. And so he continues to say, I tried to show you last Sabbath that it was perfectly consistent with God's character to punish sinners in eternal hell. And now this evening, I desire to show you by the teaching of the Holy Spirit for, oh, brethren, it is an awful truth that the torment of the wicked will be a matter of an eternal song to the redeemed. And that is the obvious, isn't it? If difficult truth of verse 3, notice the second, hallelujah. Once more, they cried out, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The saints, the heavens, have eternal joy in the judgment upon the wicked world. There's no grief in heaven 
There's no tear shed in heaven over the judgment that the sinful world rightly deserves. So it's why, as McShane continued on in his exposition, he eventually gets to this point, which brings home the sobering truth of the reality. If you pair this text with the text like Matthew chapter 25, it seems as though if you rightly understand that last judgment that belongs to God and to His people, it's that the saints will join with the Savior in the condemnation of sinners at the last age. And he goes on to say, Parents shall stand and be witnesses to the acquittal or condemnation of their children. And children shall stand and be witnesses to the acquittal or condemnation of their parents. And husbands shall stand and bear witness to the acquittal and condemnation of their wives. And wives shall stand and bear witness to the acquittal or condemnation of their husbands. They will see their sad countenances. And yet, quote, they will not shed a tear. Perhaps you understand why it might be so sobering to understand the truth of this Hallelujah. For some of you rightly understand, you mean to tell me that there's a time coming in which I will rejoice over the eternal judgment of my loved ones, my friends, my neighbors, those dear to me. And that's exactly what this text says. And then you ask the question, well, how can that possibly be true? Well, you simply need to recognize that in that glorified state in heaven, it's not the mind that we have here on earth. It's the mind of heaven. It's the mind of God and Jesus Christ where we no longer see them as we see them now. But we see them perfectly as God sees them. And as God rejoices in His righteous judgment, likewise will God's people sing about vengeance upon the world. So there is a time coming, isn't there, when weeping will no longer be appropriate. But recognize that time isn't yet. There should be tears that you currently shed over those loved ones, those friends, those dear neighbors. But the time is coming when you will sing, not just for justice. You also sing about vengeance. Thirdly, you'll sing in obedience. Notice verse 4. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. Remember those 24 elders? A symbolic representation in the revelation of God's people throughout redemptive history. Kids, you might remember the 12 tribes of Israel along with the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. 12 plus 12 equaling 24, representing God's people throughout the ages. And this song of the heavenly host gets this almost call and response with the 24 elders and the four living creatures saying, Yes, that is correct. Amen. Praise God. I wonder when was the last time that you heard truth about who God is, what He has done in Jesus Christ, or what He will do according to His sovereign purpose and gracious promise, and just had to say, Amen. Hallelujah. Don't you often wonder that maybe that should be a more consistent reaction among God's people? That's true. Amen. Hallelujah. But now, their amen, hallelujah, their matching of the heavenly host gets its match itself. You see, verse 5 continues, And from the throne came a voice. As Revelation often doesn't tell us who that voice is. Certainly we know it's from the throne. Most likely, 
seems to be the voice of none other than the Lamb of God himself saying, Praise our God. All you his servants, you who fear him, small and great, you go and sing the doom song of Babylon. Martin Luther was a pastor and reformer that loved music, loved to sing, loved to arrange songs, write songs. And he once said that any Christian who doesn't enjoy singing is, quote, a coarse clod. If you realize the truth of what goes on in heaven, singing is a normal part of the Christian life. But it's a fullness of singing, isn't it? We sing of the fullness of who God is. Not just his loving kindness, his faithfulness, his mercy and his grace, but also his justice, his righteousness, his truthfulness. To sing about this doom song of Babylon is nothing other than an obedience to the Lamb's command. Praise our God. If you fear him, you will sing this song. If you love him, you will sing this song. If you serve him, you will sing for justice. You'll sing about vengeance, and you'll sing in obedience. One of the most photographed days in the 20th century happened on Tuesday, May 8th, 1945. It was known at the time as VE Day, or Victory in Europe Day. It was a day where across the world millions of people spontaneously poured out into local streets and intersection, urban centers, stopping all traffic because the war had finally been won in Europe. At long last, the foe that was Hitler's Nazi Germany had been defeated and everything stopped and everyone sung in rejoicing. And John is telling us that history is hurtling forward to that moment when the exact same thing is going to happen in the heavens, that finally at long last, the foe and opposer of God's people, Babylon the Great, the great seducer and persecutor of the church, she too will fall, and God's people will pour out in rejoicing and joy. And I've just got two final questions for you as we begin to close. Simple meditations that you might use to examine your heart. Number one, will this song be sung over you? The doom song of Babylon will erupt from the heavens and the universe will hear it. But will it be sung over you to remain apart from Christ, to remain in your unrepentance, to remain in your unbelief means that this song will be sung over you. That it will be a song of your destruction. It will be a song of your doom. It will be a song of your deserved demise. Second question, will this song be sung over you or will this song be sung by you? What Revelation is telling us isn't it's over and over, which we see, of course, in the Gospels of Jesus Christ and in no small number of places in all of Scripture. It's that there's no neutrality when it comes to the truth of the Gospel. You're either a member of the city of man or the city of God. You either belong to that earthly city of Babylon that heavenly city of the new Jerusalem. This song will be sung, and it will either be sung over you, or it will be sung by you. Of course, how is it in that God's people can join with the Savior 
as they begin to sing this wonderful truth, a truth that will stretch out, no doubt, into all eternity. That's, of course, something we need to recognize is only something we can sing as we remember that we must come to a singing Savior who at the cross of Calvary took that doom song into his very heart that all of its justice, all of its vengeance, he swallowed up in an ocean of mercy and blood so it wouldn't have to be sung over you but instead be sung by you. Remember that our Savior is a, a singing Savior As Zephaniah wants to tell us, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Rejoice and exult with all your heart. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. And he will exult over you with singing. Have you come to the Savior who sings? Will you join with him in this doom song of Babylon? Or will it be sung over you? Let's pray together. Father, we do ask that you would help us to rejoice in the midst of this awesome truth of a song sung in judgment, a song sung in righteousness and about justice and vengeance. Lord, we pray that everyone in this room would participate in this singing. That our loved ones, our children and grandchildren will join us in participating in this singing. Give us even renewed earnestness, perhaps, and eagerness this week. That we might call out to those who are apart from Christ. Seek to snatch them from Babylon's seduction that they might flee from the coming wrath and flee to Christ himself. And we pray all of these things in his precious name. Amen.